one of the things we'd like to do on this retreat is um, trace or unwind a certain thread. outlining or touching or pointing to uh, what we might call aspects of the imaginal. So there is imagination and there is what we're calling the imaginal. And we want to just, just as a touch on, really highlight, point out um, what are the aspects of the imaginal? What is the imaginal? What does it involve? Um, so over the days, this will be, and I'll explain why we're even doing that um, uh, a little later, but over the days, this will form probably the main thread of the teaching of this retreat. And some, for those of you who've been kind of really quite into this and listening a lot to the recordings from the last few years, um, a lot of this may be quite familiar. Some of the vocabulary might have changed, other bits, uh, other aspects might be less familiar, uh, or may not have quite, uh, you might not have quite noticed them in your practice, but, um, so some, some will be familiar, but it's a slightly different angle, like I said this morning, a slightly <coughs> different way of opening things up. Okay, so, um, we have this word imagination in English. Now, all human beings know that uh, when we get into what Buddhists call papancha, it usually involves imagination. And I'm caught up in some kind of fantasy in the fixated sense, in the small sense. I'm contracted around it. I'm dragged wherever it's uh, taking me. And uh, that is a use of the imagination that pretty much I think we can say is, is not very helpful, not very skillful, and uh, certainly not what we're going to call imaginal. Um, but that exists in, in the spectrum of what, what is uh, possible for the human imagination. That, that kind of, let's call it a use of the imagination, uh, it, it exists for us, and all, we all know that. Then we can get into the realm, or, or we can uh, employ a kind of mindful imagination. So, for example, in the Satipatthana Sutta, in the, in the Buddha's uh, uh, discourse on mindfulness, the, there's a whole long section on uh, death contemplation in the section on mindfulness of the body, and and some of that uses the imagination. Imagine your imagine your body decompose. If you can't actually get to your local charnel ground, uh, <laughs> actually imagine it, and imagine rotting corpses. Your your body become a corpse um, in various stages of decomposition, being eaten by uh, vultures and knows what, etc. So it's actually a mindful use of the imagination, and for the sake of renunciation, for the sake of letting go, on the path to that kind of liberation. Um, or when we practice metta, um, or compassion, or mudita, or whatever it is. Here is this being, and I'm imagining them. Maybe I don't have a clear visual sense, but I, I, I sense in my imagination somehow their particular being, and I wish them happiness and peace, etc. So these are skillful uses and mindful uses of the imagination. 
And with all that, as we as we talked about in the Q and A today, I might actually employ, um, I might be operating there in my practice with with a real embodiment, and really have the mindfulness of the body and the image of the other, and it's a skillful, embodied, mindful use of the imagination. And it may or may not be imaginal, but it's helpful. And we can have healing images um, of all 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 manner of healing images, for example, again, mindful, embodied, probably um, not necessarily imaginal. They may be imaginal, they may not be imaginal. And towards the end of this spectrum, uh, somewhere along that line, uh, we say there is the realm of the imaginal. <coughs> this, these kind of images, or this, this uh, experience of images, is what we're calling imaginal. Now, some of you know this word imaginal is actually, uh, it's not that old in the English language, but it's getting quite popular in different circles. So you, you may have come across different authors or people um, speaking about it. What I want to say is that the way we are, are using that word imaginal is not to say our way is the right way or the only way or the true way, none of that. It's just that there are similarities overlaps and differences between the way uh, we are using that word imaginal in unfolding these kind of teachings and what you might have read in Hillman or Jung or Corbin or, or whatever. Overlaps, but some real differences. Okay, uh, And so we talk about, we want to outline, like I said, we want to highlight, bring to the attention, um, to, to for the creativity, for the unfoldment, um, different aspects or elements of of the imaginal. Um, we can talk about uh, when these elements are there. We could say something like, "This is uh, this experience now is." Um, I use these words very, very lightly. Authentically imaginal, or it, this is now the genuine imaginal, or something like that. But very, very light um, with that. So we could. Um, run through a list. And in fact, that's what we're going to do. I'll go through it very quickly tonight and I'll begin to touch on the first couple of elements. As we go through the week, we're going to go through this list, highlighting these aspects or elements of what's involved in imaginal experience. So before I even do that, I want to actually ask us all um, to consider and uh, open up our attitude and our relationship with lists like these and teachings like these. So they can get, sometimes, for some people at different times, very dry or dogmatic or very rigid or very tight or very right or wrong and all this. I'm really not a big fan of that. But there's something about highlighting distinctions that actually will serve the soul-making and serve the practice. So, um, the list is not even exhaustive. It's not a complete, and that's it now, full stop, that's the, the testament of the soul-making gospel or, or whatever, it's finished. Um, it's, it's not even an exhaustive list, but what we're trying to do is open up the attention in a way that can open up and, and deepen and, and make more full the practice. So, not dogma, not to be held too rigidly or too tightly, uh, and not exhaustive. So, as I said, I'll go through the list r- right now. 
very quickly, I'll just name things. Some of them will um, you'll recognize and be familiar with, and some perhaps you won't even know quite what they mean yet. Um, but I'm just going through the list now very briefly, uh, just as a way of like throwing out some seeds. And as we go through the week, uh, we'll both pick up different elements and go through that list. So, aspects of the imaginal. 28 elements. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not an, it's not an exhaustive list. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things we'll highlight again, the relationship between different elements, because some of them kind of overlap, they kind of imply each other, and some kind of pull in different directions. So there's a kind of dialectical or op- op- uh, op- oppositional uh, relationship between elements. We'll explain this as we go. All righty. Number, yes? I'm just wondering whether we could put some more light, because I quite like to make notes and I just can't see. Yeah. Uh, sure. I, I, I'm, what's that? Natalie's saying we're not here to sleep. Yeah, by, by all means. Yeah, please. Um, Eamon, you want to do your trick it's again? The, let's have the one without the middle, but I think there's one switch that does these ones. Um, try your one first. <coughs> That's not that one, though. Eamon, try again. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so that's what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 28 for now. Um, number one is, is the very... Is the very fact of the lattice, well, that's another word I'm going to, these elements, it's like a constellation of elements or a constellation of aspects. We're going to use words like constellation or lattice. You know what a lattice is? Not, not a lettuce. Uh, <laughs> a lattice is like, you remember high school chemistry, there's this like little balls and, and attached with rods and in, in. Or a waffle. Okay, but I'm thinking three dimensional. Um, so, <laughs> so it's like a structure, like the chandelier or uh, something like that. A structure where um, things are connected, elements are connected in three-dimensional space with with kind of connecting rods in between, something like that. Okay, what's that? Scaffolding, something like that. Yeah, scaffolding or lattice or constellation. So we'll use words like that. Network, yeah, something like that. So basically, when we say imaginal, what we really mean is not that image. <coughs> Lord of the Rings or Dumbledore or, or whatever. Dumbledore is not necessarily imaginal unless all that, all that, all these elements are there. Or to the degree that these elements are there, then uh, Dumbledore is imaginal for me in that moment. So I'm just going to rattle through the list. Uh, the lattice itself, okay, this network, in other words, it involves something about the object and something in, in the subject and in the relationship with it. That's the, maybe the most abstract one right now, but I'll put it first. So. Second one is energy body, which we've already uh, talked about. When um, for something to be imaginal, there has to be energy body awareness here. Okay, and I'll come back to that uh, later today. Third aspect, love and being loved. An imaginal image loves me, loves you, and I love it. We're going to go into more detail on all of these. Fourth one, eros. Eros. 
fifth one, beauty. Imaginal images are beautiful. Um, the, the scope of that beauty might be much bigger than a kind of narrow scope, but there's a sense of beauty there. Uh, there is no number six. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, there is. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to go through in... Uh, okay, let's see. Um, six is trust. What, there's a relationship of trust with an imaginal image. It's some of these nodes are not obvious at first, and this is the point to highlight them, to draw our attention to them, and I'll explain what, why. Why trust? Um, what happens when you don't write things in order? The uh, seventh one is that it's soul-making. An imaginal image actually brings a sense of soulfulness. It opens up the sense of soulfulness. It is soul-making. The eros psyche logos dynamic, the dynamic of soul making, gets galvanized and and uh, in, moved into action. So an image that doesn't do that for me right now is not imaginal. Yeah. Um, the eighth one is a sense of dimensionality. There's more to it than just the flat surface, um, the flatland materiality of things. It, that dimensionality moves into divinity. So we could call that two different aspects or nodes of the lattice, or just one. Dimensionality shading into divinity. So there's something that feels sacred and divine about imaginal images. Um, related to that, ninth one is a beyondness, an unfathomability. So there's a sense of something more. This image has something more, some mystery beyond. I can't quite capture or, or put into words or get my head around. And actually that's unfathomably deep, that beyondness. It's right there in, in and through the image. But it's got a beyondness to it. Uh, <coughs> an image has uh, soft and elastic edges. Its boundaries are indefinite. Even if in my mind's eye, if it's a visual image, I can see every little micro hair and it's sharply delineated visually, it's got soft and elastic edges. We'll come back to what that means. The boundaries are indefinite. Uh, eternality, timelessness. So again, some, some of you may have noticed some of this and some not. An image has, has a dimension to it that's, that feels eternal, timeless. Uh, there's a sense in the relationship with an imaginal image of reverence. The heart, the soul, has a, has a reverent relationship with the imaginal. <clears throat> there's a sense of grace. Something is given me. Something is visiting me in this image. Through this image. This image is a gift from the divine. Humility. So this is a subjective note. That the, the heart, the soul feels humble. And we'll explain what that means. Uh, humble in relation to this, uh, this beauty, this image. 
15, not reduced. The, the image, I'm not reducing it to, this is, this means this. This is a representation of this bit of my uh, mind or soul or my history. This represents this in my history, when this happened, or that wounding, or this quality of compassion, or this power. It's not reducible. It cannot be, it means X or Y. More than that. Um, or it doesn't only mean X or Y, let's put it that way. So it can have those individual meanings, but it's always more. Not ultimately reducible. Number 16, autonomy. So the image is not, I'm not sensing it, I'm not conceiving it, this is just part of me. This is a sub-personality, or this is uh, some element of my psyche. It's its own being, in the same way that Joel here is his own being. He has his autonomy. There's a sense of the, the being has its own autonomy and in a way can act independently. But I also have my autonomy. So the autonomy is double of self and other, of self and image. And related to that, 17, there's two-ness. I realize I'm going very quick. I'm just casting out seeds right now. There's this sense of two-ness that we've worked so much with. There's the image and there's me. There's two-ness. It doesn't dissolve in oneness. Uh, there's a quality of theatre, number 18. Theatre. This is somewhere in between real and not real. The imaginal middle way. It has that quality to it. Nineteen, we recognize that we create this image and we discover this image, both, or somewhere in between. Creation, discovery, that's part of the gestalt of the whole constellation of the relationship. Twenty, what we're going to call the concertina, we'll explain what that means. There are other images waiting in the wings of the theatre. This isn't the only image. Number 21, there's a slightly less fabrication. There's this fluidity that we touched on in the Q&A. little less clinging, so things become less fabricated, more fluid, more malleable. Number 22 is an imaginal experience is not a non-conceptual experience. Logos is involved, concept is involved. Uh, an imaginal experience is not a non-conceptual experience. Concept is involved. So I think we also touched on with regard to the energy body in, in the Q&A. We'll, we'll go through all of this again. I'm really, I'm aware how fast I'm going. We're going to go through each. I'm just sprinkling some seeds right now. Um, 23, what I want to call fullness of intention. I'm not trying to get something from this image. I'm not primarily trying to get something for this image. <coughs> I'm certainly not trying to win the lottery or, uh, or even trying to um, uh, empower myself, for instance, or my uh, psychological process. I'm, I'm I've got a fullness of intention. I'm in it for something bigger. 
My intention is for God, for the divine, for the soul. Not just for me, not primarily for me, so that I can be better at this, so that I can develop this or that. Fullness of intention. 24 is a sense of duty. Where there's soul making, there's a sense of duty. Somehow it comes into my life with a sense of asking me something. It's a subtle one. We have to be careful with that. Twenty-five is meaningfulness. So an image is pregnant with meanings, plural. I cannot reduce it to just several meanings. It has a kind of infinite cloud of meaningfulness, which I might not even be able to isolate. It means this or that. Uh, Twenty-six, and I'm not really going to explain this right now, is there's a infinite echoing, an infinite mirroring between the imaginal image and my life. They mirror each other like two mirrors facing each other and just mirroring each other endlessly in in, in a subtle way. 27 is an aspect of what's involved in the imaginal are values. Um, aesthetic values, that's in, in the beauty, but also moral values. So things like goodness, kindness, nobility, courage, um, even cunning, these kinds of things. An image, if you like, embodies values. It's not reducible to values, but values are involved. And lastly, a sense of deep participation. That's 28, okay? That's a lot. And uh, and you might be feeling like, oh my goodness me. Um, but these are things to notice, and we're going to go through them, and a lot of them are already there uh, in your experience. It's a matter of kind of naming and getting familiar with them. So just rattle that, that through to, to plant some seeds. What, what we want to say, because... We really don't want to be rigid with this, so uh, there's a spectrum here. We, we're, all these aspects, and from Papantra on one side, and then all these aspects, etc., at what point is the cut-off point to what we're calling imaginal? We could put it anywhere. Am, am I going to get upset about where it is? It's more there's a direction that we can open up further, as, as more of these aspects get involved, rather than someone saying, that is or that isn't imaginal. Do you understand? We don't want to get self-judging or quibble too much about it. Is this making vague sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good. Okay. So we're talking about a spectrum, not an on-off switch or black and white or something I've failed, I haven't. You know, it's, it's a movement. It's an opening. It's a direction. Why, why are we even talking about this? One reason is just for the sake of clarity and for the sake of um, clarity in terms of what we mean when we use that word imaginal, uh, which is, as I said, different than what other people might mean uh, in some respects, but also clarity in terms of understanding the whole kind of conceptual framework of what we're creating and discovering here with this soul-making dharma. Um, 
that the more I get clear about all this stuff, the more it will help me get clear about the whole vision and the whole of what's involved and the whole concept of what's involved in this kind of path. So that's one reason for the sake of clarity and understanding and the conceptual framework. The second reason has to do with actual practice and the art of practice. Um, knowing, Becoming familiar with these aspects, they begin to function as kind of keys. So this particular key of any one of these nodes, when I activate it, when I turn that key, it opens the door into the, into the imaginal realm. Or if we, if we take the, the lattice or the network image, igniting one node can then ignite the whole lattice so that one moves more towards the, the fully imaginal, the authentically imaginal, the genuinely imaginal. Um, so for example, I could pick any element there and uh, let's say that aspect of, um, uh, timelessness. Uh, I, I'm with an image and it doesn't quite feel imaginal and deep and that whole kind of richness there. And then I, I begin to pay attention to the quality of time in, in and around that image. And I notice, oh, it does have this kind of strangely timeless dimension. Hard to put it into words. We'll talk about it. Um, and noticing that um, illuminates that particular node, that particular element, that particular uh, dot in the lattice, and it's like it, it comes, uh, uh, it ignites, it comes on fire, and then that might ignite the whole, the whole thing. Does that make sense? Um, so one mode for practice is just to notice, just to notice these elements. You're not so much making them happen as notice what's already there, that at first the consciousness doesn't quite realize. I don't quite pick up on these elements. So as I look a little closer, I see, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then I dwell with that, and I resonate with that element. Something comes alive, uh, ignites in the whole latter. <coughs> or you can actually wiggle or jiggle one of the nodes, uh, actually d- deliberately kind of activate it. Um, so for example, um, the energy body, making that uh, more open, pervading the awareness there activates that node, and that might help us move more into the imaginal. Uh, or you can deliberately start where uh, something with something that's accessible to you. So, for example, um, there might just be I'm sitting, I'm feeling my life and my being in the moment, and I just feel a vague sense of reverence. I don't even know what I, exactly I feel reverent to, or a, a, a sense of humility to, in relation to who knows what. Some sense is there, and um, or it's accessible to me. I can find my way into a sense of humility or that vague sense of reverence. Um, and I, so I deliberately kind of activate that node. I deliberately ignite that, open that, and that can open the door of the whole of the. Uh, the larger network of the imaginal. Um, or it might be the, the middle way sense that was one of the nodes I outlined, this kind of theatre. So if, you, if you're familiar with emptiness practices, if you go uh, and practice some, some kind of emptiness practice or other, and there's a sense of all things being empty, well that's close enough to the imaginal middle way, and then it becomes much easier to, uh, for the imaginal to get ignited and opened up.
uh, or the energy body or the time, like we said. So that's the general concept. Okay, and I said we'll go through and we'll, we'll cover this again, but um, I'm hoping, I'm trusting that it, even if it sounds a bit overwhelming and dense right now, you'll actually get the hang of it and, and it, will, it will be really quite helpful in practice and also with the understanding. Uh, so first one, just, I'm going to just do two, the first two, the lattice and the energy body, just very briefly. Um, so the first aspect of the imaginal is the very fact that it has different aspects, that it has different elements. Okay, so uh, the, the lattice itself is an aspect of the imaginal. Realizing that, sensing that, knowing that, the network, the um, the fact of its multi-aspected constitution, this imaginal is is a multi-aspected thing. What that means is that images in the eye of the beholder. You know, we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty and the imaginal have a lot in common. A lot, a lot in common. The more you understand imaginal, the more you understand beauty and vice versa. So we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder and and image is in the eye of the beholder. Meaning um, this network of relationships, uh, the nodes and the lattice, needs to be there. It's dependent on that for something to be imaginal. And some of those are just here, like energy, body, awareness, or, or humility. It's a subject, it's, a, it's, it's part of the subject. It's a node that belongs to the subject as opposed to the object. So something like the dimensionality of the image, or the divinity of the image, is part of the object, the imaginal object. My humility in that moment is part of the subject. You understand? Um, so, um, Lord, Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potter, the, the, all, all that stuff, <laughs> all that stuff, is not inherently imaginal. Some great mythic, there's kings and warriors and queens and wizards and, and dragons, and it's not inherently imaginal. I mean, it might be when I end, when that relationship, when the, the nodes of the lattice come alive, or something that you know, the, the hair on my arm. So it's not imaginal. Well, it can be if 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 that comes alive with it. So it's not it's not inherently just in the image. It's it's dependent on that aliveness and the fullness of that relationship as well. Yes. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one uh, we've touched on already, I'm not going to say much about it, is energy body awareness. That's a part of the Im- imaginal constellation. Some of you may have listened on tapes, I actually remember it was Natalie's question um, in Q&A a while ago, but um, some of you obviously weren't there, but will have listened. Um, when there's craving in relation to something or other, even in relation to an image, the energy body is contracted, and I tend not—I tend to lose the energy body awareness and and the and the largeness of it. Craving contracts. When I open up the energy body uh, in relation to someone or something or an image, it helps to uh, transform, to transubstantiate the craving in, into eros. 
when I open up the energy body awareness, craving opens up into eros. And then I have an erotic relationship with this image, with this other, with this thing. And the eros opens up the imaginal. So that um, if I can come into full energy body, put my whole, can I be in relationship to this thing, to this person, to this image, to this tree, to whatever it is, can I be in relationship with my whole energy body? Can I see it with my whole energy body? Can I see with my body? The more I do that, the more I'm inclu- more activating, igniting this particular node of the energy body, and the more chance there is of the whole relationship becoming erotic imaginal. We touched in the Q&A, so in a way we're opening up the sense of what energy body can mean. Uh, it's the felt sense here of texture, of vibration in this space, but it also involves image, the image of body, and also the concept of body. Um, so that's all involved in the energy body. The concept of body that's involved in the energy body is not limited to our usual ones. And you just see this body... Am I attractive? Am I not attractive? According to whatever is the current human fashion in my culture, I see I, I've got a concept of body that way. That's not going to support soul making, or a purely flatly materialistic, just a bunch of molecules that are hanging together for a while in some kind of way that they kind of produce organic life. That's a concept um, that's not going to uh, support soul making. So the concept that's active with energy body is is uh, encompasses, includes, but is broader than our usual concepts of body and matter. And last thing, we've said this many times: energy body has a huge range in terms of that felt sense. It can be dense and dark like the roots of a tree like the roots of an oak tree is dense and dark or like stone or like sand or like liquid or water or like air the the texture can feel that way or like light or like space the range is huge absolutely huge all that is the, the playground of energy body Okay, so that's the first, that's the general concept, and the, the sprinkling of the seeds of the 28 uh, aspects, and, and the first two, just briefly. Does it make sense? Yeah? So we're gonna, so this, this will be one of the main threads of, uh, we'll, we'll just go through and, and touch on a few nodes each day, and just kind of illuminate them so, you, so they can, uh, serve to, to germinate in, in your practice. I think so. <laughs> if that's okay, so I think we've there's just been quite a lot of talking today, so that'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Let's have a little quiet time together. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.